I'm Damian Bulwa, Metro Editor at the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, the remarkable fall of youth crime in California. All year, the Chronicle has been reporting a series of stories called Vanishing Violence. It's a rare good news crime story with big implications. The series has already led San Francisco leaders to decide to close their nearly vacant juvenile hall. Today, reporters Jill Tucker, Evan Cernofsky, and Joaquin Palomino join me to talk about their latest work. Jill will talk about the latest FBI numbers that show juvenile crime falling for the 13th straight year around the country. And Evan and Joaquin will discuss their investigation into the surge of children that were tried in adult courts in the past two decades under policies that are now seen as too severe. Vanishing violence right after this. Jill, Evan, and Joaquin, thanks for coming in. Thanks so much for having us. All right, so this is like my favorite story at the paper that you guys are talking about, Vanishing Violence, a series of stories about plunging youth crime in California. I want to start with you, Jill. You just took a look at the new nationwide data from the FBI. I know you had an eye on what was happening with youth crime because we've been reporting this. What is the what are the latest figures show? Yeah, so the latest figures that came out, uh, the new FBI figures are basically showing that youth crime is continuing to drop to new historic lows. Um, You know, as one source said, this isn't just a, you know, a huge drop. It's a chasm. And uh, we we saw this year, as in years past, that the numbers keep going down uh, to shocking lows. We had an 11% decline just in, from 2017 to 18 in uh, juvenile arrests. Um, and for violent crimes, it fell 5% uh, for arrests. So really just historic lows, crazy lows in, in youth crime. Yeah, when I was a young reporter, a lot of the stories that we were doing were about rising crime and even and rising youth yeah, crime. Yeah, um, not that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit ago, um, Joaquin. Um, when we were writing about that, we didn't really know exactly why crime was going up, but there was a lot of fear around it. It was hitting a lot of Bay Area cities really hard. And then since then, for the past what twenty years or so, it's been going down. Every year, California, now we know around the nation as well. Do we know why? Are there theories why crime is falling so much uh, among teenagers? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of theories about sort of what, what's driving this big systemic change. So, you know, part of it, some of the obvious ones, technology. Uh, you know, youth are on cell phones a lot more. Social media is more prevalent. They're more feeling more connected. Also, is you know harder to get away with crime with cameras everywhere. That's sort of one of the more recent theories. Um, you know, other theories are, you know, changes in the drug trade. You get rid of, you know, street drug dealing is not as big of, you know, a thing. The crack, crack epidemic has ended. So that's sort of changed the dynamics with, you know, youth participation. In, so basically kids aren't out on the street corners as much. Maybe that kind of tit for tat gang violence. Yeah, that's one thing. Another is um, there's a really interesting theory about lead exposure. So you remove lead from from gasoline from paint in the 70s um and then the effects of lead on on you know developing brains is pretty remarkable i mean it caused a lot of long-term you know problems in terms of you know behavioral issues um so the lead is sort of washing out of the system and this is the first generation i mean that's that is one theory but ultimately no one really knows and it's probably not a single thing it's probably sort of confluence of different factors and different changes that have led to this reduction but, I mean, 
criminologists and experts have been studying this for a long time, and there's still not a consensus on what's driving this massive shift that's just happening you know, in California, across the country, across the world, to a degree. We also know uh, that clearance rates are going up with investigators for a lot of the reasons Joaquin is talking about technology, DNA technology, cameras. So when you remove a person, a suspect, a defendant who is uh, committed a crime, committed a homicide, you're sort of interjecting and, and breaking that cycle of tit-for-tat violence that where one killing can ultimately lead to 5, 10, 20. But what is amazing is that some of the older people that are in those age groups that were committing so much crime, and they're now in their 40s, 50s, 60s, are still committing crime at, at, at heavy amounts. Yeah, the the um, while we're seeing these huge drops among youth and and into the eighteen to twenty four range, so as these kids are getting older, the crime rates are dropping there. But but we're still seeing among adults thirty five and over, we're still seeing an awful lot of um, crime. Some some ticks up in some cases. Um, that may be the um, opiate epidemic that we're seeing now, where we're seeing some of the repercussions of that in the crime rate for for older adults. It's interesting because the district attorney's office here in San Francisco just released recidivism rates uh, and broken down by demographics. And surprisingly, it wasn't the sort of 18 to 21-year-old demographic that were the largest recidivators in the system. is actually a little bit older, um, people in their 30s. Wow. So there's a lot of hope in these statistics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I want to talk about is the whole Vanishing Violence Project. Um, it's this good news story, but you guys have turned it into an investigation. Uh, Jill, can you talk about the launching of the series? Why are we interested in this and why has it been so unrecognized that youth crime is falling off? Well, you know, I think we 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 jumped into this because it was the, the statistics are so staggering and yet nobody was really talking about them. And so we thought, you know, let's let's take a look at this because there's there are always questions to ask when you see these types of things. And so we started asking, you know, what are the repercussions of having such a low crime rate and and what we found is that, you know, with the decline of youth crime and some of the programs out there um, to defer kids away from juvenile halls and other facilities, is that um, our juvenile halls are mostly empty now. And we are seeing yet still dramatic increases in what we're spending uh, in counties. And uh, what we found what was that uh, counties are spending up to $500,000 a year to incarcerate uh, a juvenile in, in juvenile halls, and uh, which is, is pretty shocking. Um, and so based on this reporting, uh, you know, I think it made people sort of sit up and take notice that these juvenile halls are empty. That's great. That's something to celebrate. Crime is down. But the fact that we have mostly empty juvenile halls across the state is a big question mark of, of what do we do about that? And uh, in San Francisco, based on on that reporting, uh, they voted to shut down Juvenile Hall by the end of 2021. As a result of the Chronicle series. Yeah, I was following our story. They uh, San Francisco announced they're going to shut down Juvenile Hall by 2021 and replace it with, I mean, right now they're working out the details, but, um, you know, probably a series of different types of facilities, including, you know, maximum security facility like Juvenile Hall, but much smaller. So instead of 150 beds, maybe 10, maybe 20. And then other different sort of home-like centers that are not, you know, lockdown facilities, but, um, you know, they're places where youth who need help can go and uh, youth who are sort of entering the juvenile justice system can go and get Geared for services. rehabilitation rather than punishment, which is what the youth system is supposed to look like. Yeah, exactly. And, and there are other states that have systems like this. Um, there's other, you know, 
cities, counties, jurisdictions. So it's not, um, you know, this first of a kind idea, but for, for California, it, it, San Francisco will become the first city to be operating with, I mean, really this entirely different uh, landscape of, uh, when it comes to actual you know, facilities where youth are held. Okay, I want to move on, Evan, to your latest piece that's uh, part of this series, and that's about, you took a look at how after the youth crime went up in the 80s and 90s, one of the big reactions was to move kids into adult court. What did you find? Like, what was the most surprising? What do the numbers show? Right. So we have to really go back to the mid-90s. And as we were talking about, this is an era when crime, not just youth crime, but crime in general was at one of its all-time highs. And frankly, people were terrified. There were uh, twenty more than 22,000 youths arrested for violent felonies in California in 1994. And that same year, um, the state assembly passed a law that lowered the minimum age which a youth can be charged in adult court from 16 to 14. So now 14-year-old kids are being charged with serious felonies in adult court and they're facing adult punishments like lifetime sentences behind bars. And these are punishments, as you mentioned earlier, that are designed not for rehabilitation but essentially to make somebody go away or punish them. Um, Consequently, right around that time, as we've been reporting, youth crime began to pre precipitously fall. And we don't know the reason for that, but still as it fell in 2000, voters passed Proposition 21, which was a remarkable tough-on-crime bill that one of the things it did was it allowed prosecutors to directly file charges against kids in adult court. So before that, kids had to go through what was called a fitness hearing where a judge would ultimately weigh the evidence and decide whether they were fit for the juvenile system or the adult system. This took away that power or this took away that option and now prosecutors could directly put young people as young as 14 into yeah, a adult court. a huge power shift from judges to prosecutors. Again, I'm, I'm aging myself, but that was part of my beat when I was a young reporter was covering Proposition 21. Um, it wasn't necessarily supposed to be used or at least envisioned to be used as much as it was. Um, what did you guys find about the numbers? How much did prosecutors directly file? Did they directly file in just the most serious murder cases or did they directly file in a lot of cases? No, they directly filed in a lot of cases. Our data shows that between 2003 and 2016, 11,300 youths were prosecuted as adults, and 70% of those cases were directly filed, many of those in uh, more conservative or tougher counties. So really, depending on where you were in California, uh, depending on what kind of justice you received. And, and Joaquin, just digging into the numbers a little more, there was a justice by geography standpoint, but you also looked at race, didn't you? Yeah. Um, so yeah, in terms of the justice by geography, I mean, there were some counties that were prosecuting youth as adults at, at rates that were just like astronomically higher than others. So San Francisco, Alameda County, for example, prosecutors here, you know, they're really reluctant to uh, file cases in adult court and they rarely did so. But then you had other counties, you know, in the Central Valley, San Joaquin County, Sacramento, where Literally every single case filed, uh, every single juvenile prosecutor's adult was uh, the product of a direct file. Um, and, and so this practice was really 
it was being used really differently across the state. And, and I mean, there's huge racial disparities, too, in, in the juveniles who are prosecuted as adults. So we found that uh, about 86% of all the juveniles prosecuted as adults were either black or Latino. Uh, and that was a racial disparity that was, you know, far, far higher than even, um, you know, those that are found in the criminal justice system. Uh, in some counties, like in Los Angeles County, 96% of the juveniles prosecuted as adults were black or Latino. Uh, and that's a proportion that is, you know, far, far higher than the population there. Um, Kern County had a, a similar disparity. I mean, really across the board, you were seeing big differences by race and in, in, in how these I mean, really how this law was being implemented. So to what degree have uh, lawmakers and voters scaled this back? And are we still seeing numbers, um, similar numbers being prosecuted in some counties? So um, Prop 57 in 2016 really undid a lot of, um, you know, what Prop 21 laid out. So it took the power that prosecutors had to directly file cases and it put that power back in the hands of judges. Um, and as a result, uh, the number of juveniles prosecuted in adult court was already declining. But after that proposition passed, I mean, the numbers just plummeted. So we went from, you know, more than a thousand cases a year during the peak, um, you know, the mid 2000s, yet more than a thousand cases a year being transferred to adult court to just 77 last year, uh, according to the state data that we were relying on for the story. So we've sort of moved in and out of this era. And um, you guys have given us a great, a great look at that. Um, part of the piece is about whether these laws are retroactive. And you reported that life without the possibility of getting out was taken off the table for juveniles. But not everything was retroactive, right? Yeah. So there are still, um, you know, a lot of young people who were prosecuted. Well, I mean, at this point, they're no longer young. There's a lot of people in prison still who were prosecuted in adult court as juveniles who are still behind bars. Um, and w no one's really tracked how many, no one knows how many um, people are still sort of suffering the consequences of this prior era and this prior regime uh, of sort of tough on crime laws and, and penalties for youth offenders. Um, the only data we could find was a 2013 report that estimated that there was about 6,500 people in California state prisons who were prosecuted as teenagers um, and, and sent to adult prison. Evan, even as you guys were reporting this story, the courts were hearing cases from people who said that some of the reforms have gone too far, that some of these kids need to be in adult court. Um, wh what does the opposition say about, about the, the complete scaling back of these policies? So the last major reform in California with juvenile, juvenile justice, excuse me, came in 2018 with SB 1391. And what that did is it took away the ability for any 14 or 15 year old to be charged in adult court. And many district attorneys around the state and some in the Bay Area, including in Solano County and in Santa Clara County, the DA there, Jeff Rosen, pointed to cases of particularly egregious crimes where they say th these people need to be treated as adults. We already repealed um, you know, the direct file. So there should be an option in certain egregious cases where people have committed heinous crimes that they don't believe will be rehabilitated by age 25 when they would be automatically released from the juvenile system. Okay. And Jill, I want to end with you. Um, you guys are continuing to look into this. Vanishing violence will continue. What are the kinds of things that you are tracking? Where, where does the story go from here? 
Well, we're still taking a look at um, the the repercussions of this drop in crime. Uh, we're following some really strong leads. Um, we're going to have some great stories coming out in this series uh, as we as we move forward. Um, we're we're really excited about this. I think you know, good news stories, things that started as good news stories, often don't lead down the path to these type of investigative pieces. And uh, you know, we're really excited about what's coming up. And you're in touch with a lot of counties who are kind of re-examining their practices as a result of this series, right? What are they saying? I mean, are, are they starting to look at some of the practices they have as perhaps outdated? Yeah, I think there's a lot of counties that are sort of taking a look at uh, the finances of this. They're taking a look at the research in terms of whether incarcerating children is effective. Um, you know, so so there's been something of a wake-up call with, uh, you know, with the data, with our reporting uh, of people really st- sort of taking a step back and not just celebrating the drop in crime, uh, but taking a look at what that means and what needs to happen next. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks, Jill. Thanks, Evan. Thanks, Joaquin. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to my guests today, reporters Jill Tucker, Evan Cernofsky, and Joaquin Palomino. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode. And thank you for listening. Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.